Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Tuesday, May 16th, 2023, the 846th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So let's get started catching up with some things from yesterday. First off, I talked about the Australian comedian who admitted that he regretted getting the vaccine, not only because maybe it would cause health problems down the line, but because he realized that meant for him, he would basically obey the state at any point and do anything he was told just to preserve the simplest and most irrelevant things in his life. And realized because of that, if he had existed in World War II Germany, 
he would have been the type of person to point out where Anne Frank was hiding. It was a smart bit. It was a brave bit. It was a funny bit. And I said, I wish that American comedians had the balls to do that. And in my head, I was thinking about the people who had gotten the vax and would turn against it in this fashion and actually admit what was wrong with going along with the whole thing. But that's not how I said it. I said, I wish comedians in America had the balls to do something like this. And it was pointed out to me multiple times that there are some very good comedians in America who have had the balls to do this and were right the whole time from the beginning. And a lot of people mentioned Jim Brewer, dead on, 100% true, all respect to Jim Brewer and people in his circle like Eddie Bravo. And then I also remembered Rob Schneider has been great on this too. So just wanted to clarify that if there's anyone else I missed, and I'm sure there are plenty, you can let me know, or you can just be at peace with knowing that I understand I didn't cover all the bases. Now, also yesterday on the show, we spent a lot of time talking about Turkey and a little bit of time in the middle of that conversation talking about Elon Musk and his tweet about censorship in Turkey and Twitter's role in that and that he had been asked to do certain things by the government of Turkey and had complied. And I said that this issue was a little bit more complicated than Elon was making it. I am generally a free speech maximalist. I don't think there should be any restrictions on free speech. If people say really terrible, destructive things, then it's up to other people to deal with that with their own speech or to deal with that by disassociating themselves with those words and maybe with those people. And all of that is okay. But once you start excluding viewpoints from a conversation, everybody gets dumber. Not just the people who are the targets of the censorship, who the government is actively oppressing, but everyone else who doesn't get to hear a particular viewpoint when that particular viewpoint might be the very piece of the puzzle that puts the whole picture together for them and makes it make sense and makes them change their position and pursue something else. And we've seen the results of that over the last few years. When I got back on Twitter last fall, I was calling it the intellectual kids table, and it still is. But I was saying that because the people who stayed on censored platforms throughout the last few years essentially accepted that there are things they weren't allowed to talk about, and they just ignored those things as if they're no longer part of life. Most of them did not learn anything about election fraud. So you bring it up to them now, and they have no idea what you're talking about. They were told they had to behave or else they would get in trouble. And so rather than doing the right thing and speaking the truth and potentially dealing with the trouble, they silenced themselves. They remained at the intellectual kids table and they all got weaker and dumber in the process because you cannot learn in a censored environment. If they are censoring things, it's not the most useless, untrue information that's being censored. It's the truest and most destructive information to the regime that's being censored. There is literally nothing more important to know than that stuff. And this is essentially true in all cases, by definition. That's why they're censoring. Now, I also mentioned yesterday that in certain circumstances, this position on free speech can be used against you because then you are forced to allow anything and everything to exist on a platform. And that includes obvious malicious 
foreign attacks, abuses of the system, malign disinformation operations, etc. Stuff that can and has in the past been used to destabilize societies, foment revolutions, and overthrow governments. So as a free speech absolutist or a free speech maximalist, what do you do there? Do you make a special case and shut down that activity? Well, yes, if it's certain activity that you can target and be specific with, maybe you can shut down that activity or maybe you can shut down foreign actors without affecting the free speech rights of your citizens. But then you might say in a fully censored society, isn't it important to get the other side from foreign actors? And maybe that's true. It's a really difficult situation. And the problem is that it gets abused and the same side uses both standards against whoever their target is, whoever their opponent is. Now, when I responded with some of this to Elon Musk's tweet over the weekend, I tagged Mike Ben Cyber on Twitter. That's M-I-K-E-B-E-N-Z Cyber on Twitter. You can go find him. If you're on Twitter, you should absolutely follow this guy because I wanted him to weigh in and he didn't respond to me. But yesterday, a couple hours after I finished the podcast, he put up this video on Twitter and it's a little long. It's about nine minutes. I'm not sure I'm going to play the whole thing, but I think this is absolutely worth it because Mike Benz used to work in cyber for the state department under Donald Trump. And then for a little while after he knows what he's talking about. He knows how these systems have been used. And I think that he is making the argument I was making yesterday with a whole lot more information and background on that very situation in Turkey. I think it is absolutely worth your time to listen to this, not only because it solidifies and backs up what I was saying, but also because he lays out how this particular abuse has been used in the past to carry out color revolutions. And one more note about the video, he's recording it on basically the side of a highway. So there's a lot of wind and some background noise. And if it bothers you too much, just skip ahead. But I think what he's saying is important the entire time. So it's been a subject of much debate and chatter on Twitter in the past couple of days about Turkey's request to Elon Musk to censor the opposition, the political opposition in Turkey ahead of these elections that just that just occurred, these first round elections. Now, you've seen a lot of chatter, particularly from the national security state, representatives of the Biden administration's Defense Department, State Department, intelligence community, USAID funded NGOs and whatnot about what a human rights abuse it is that Turkey has asked Twitter to censor political opposition there. And look, the plain fact is, is it's, it's, it is abusive what Turkey has asked Twitter to do to anyone who believes in freedom of speech, especially about political speech. There's no doubt that there is some repression of opposition uh, uh, candidacies and, and movements in Turkey. The problem is, is right now the concept of free speech has been so shattered because of a failure of U.S. leadership because of how wholeheartedly the United States has endorsed censorship that there's really no standing for the Peter Strzok of the world, for the Samantha Powers of the world to contest what Turkey is doing 
because the U.S. did the exact same thing to U.S. companies between the 2016 and 2020 elections. Currently, there is still a vast subset of the U.S. political opposition censored on YouTube, on Facebook, on TikTok, um, and even to some extent still on Twitter. Uh, the U.S. national security state seem to have no problem with the social media censorship of Bolsonaro in Brazil, of the Brazilian Supreme Court actually banning WhatsApp earlier and now Telegram twice this year because of it allowing so-called right-wing misinformation. The plain fact is, is the only reason that there is a hubbub over Turkey censorship right now coming from certain quarters of the U.S. national security state is because they are plotting regime change by backing the political opposition in Turkey. So this is the, you know, this is the sort of uh, cocktail party trick that I like to play sometimes. If you want to know whether or not the CIA is planning a revolution in your country, simply plug in the name of that country on Google and then do a Boolean search for, quote, threat to democracy there. If you plug in Turkey and then put quotes around threat to democracy, uh, you will see ample evidence of USAID-funded, National Endowment for Democracy-funded, U.S. State Department-funded plots to back the political opposition there for a whole range of reasons that are sort of outside the scope of this particular video. But even though the only reason that you have the U.S. national security state up in arms about requests for censorship on Twitter being because they're planning a revolution there, they're planning a regime change operation, they're backing the opposition, that's the only reason they care, they don't care about the censorship issue, they care about their own boy being blocked the same way that they advocated for the blocking of Trump in the U.S., Brexit supporters in the UK, Bolsonaro supporters in Brazil, Abe supporters in Japan, and Modi supporters in India, to say nothing of a whole, you know, a whole spread of others from Spain to Greece to the Baltics. We'll leave that aside for another day. The point is, is right now the world is balkanized. Um, the Council on Foreign Relations uh, was, was a sort of hive mind of thought leadership on internet freedom in the 1990s when internet freedom was being used by the national security state to fund to essentially um, foment color revolutions around the world cfr published a bunch of white white paper memos in the 1990s calling for a doctrine of internet freedom um, which was associated at the time with a whole host of foreign policy establishment institutions backing internet freedom. The DOD was, was funding internet freedom architecture and technology, VPNs, end-to-end -end encrypted chats, um, uh, you know, all manner of internet anonymity uh, technologies were funded by the DOD, developed by DARPA, and then supercharged by the U.S. State Department and USAID in order for the U.S. to back political opposition groups in countries where the state had clamped down on traditional media. And then once Brexit and the 2016 U.S. election happened in the U.S., the national security state switched from a counter, from a sort of insurgency internet freedom model to a counterinsurgency internet censorship model. And that's the world that we are today. So it is sort of amusing if you don't mind me saying, um, uh, to see these institutions suddenly 
temporarily give a damn about free speech in Turkey because that happens to be where they're backing a plot for regime change. So there's no principles at play with these people. Um, and to the extent that we, that we agree, certainly that certainly I do agree with the, with the general position that censorship is wrong. The problem is the world really is balkanized right now because other countries are becoming wise to the U.S. State Department's tricks when it comes to internet freedom. And this is what I was yelling about up and down when I was in the State Department. And I was saying, you guys don't get it. If you back domestic censorship here in the U.S., we will never be able to play this card again internationally because everyone will know that that we don't really care about the principle of it. It's only being used for regime change because we didn't even care about the principle of, on, of it on our own home court here in the U.S. Now, that was a minority position, the one that I took, a principled free speech maximalist position around the world, including in the U.S. But now we're seeing it here. And in fact, the Council on Foreign Relations, which, which was a big part of the thought leadership of internet freedom, in the 1990s, since the World Wide Web opened up in 91, actually, they wrote a memo just last year calling for an end to the internet freedom doctrine, saying that now internet freedom was useful for a time when we could use it to get our claws into other countries, but now other countries are starting to shut down internet freedom from abroad. They're starting to limit access to YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter ab abroad, and it's only being used to popularize populist ideas at home. And so we need to basically simulate a kind of Chinese firewall with a, with a little, with human American characteristics, if you will. And, you know, when the CFR makes a statement like that, that goes out to all the institutions. You know, Alex Stamos at the Stanford Internet Observatory, who runs the Stanford Internet Observatory, which was the anchor of DHS's domestic disinfo censorship squad, EIP, Election Integrity Partnership. The guy who runs the Stanford Internet Observatory, Alex Stamos, is a CFR member. His top lieutenant, Rene Duresta, is a CFR member. CISA's, CISA just uh, hired the uh, Harvard Belfer Center, Center's Maria Barsalo Lynch, who was a big part of the Harvard Belfer Center's internet censorship operation in 2020. Also CFR member. You see this all over the place and their own institution just just basically, you know, co-signed a, uh, a white paper calling for an end to the internet freedom value, the virtue, both to export around the world and internally, because they see it as a political threat to espouse internally. So this, is a, this has now become a standing argument. You either have it everywhere or you have it nowhere. If, the, if, if representatives of the U.S. national security state are going to make a big stink about it in Turkey, as I think they should, they have to be consistent. Otherwise, it just looks like a CIA coup that they're, that they're complaining might fail because they can't control the media organs there. So it's a very bad look. You know, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. And when it comes to free speech, live by it because otherwise you're just gonna lose by it. And that's what's happening now. It's making U.S. statecraft far less effective. It's, it's not only undermining the freedom of U.S. citizens, but it's devastating our, our ability to project soft power abroad because now everyone knows that the whole thing was just a ploy 
they didn't believe in freedom. They were using it selectively for coups, which is which is very disappointing to see. But it can still, you know, it's not too late to turn back and believe in freedom now. But the people have to get behind it and call it out. So that's kind of the lay of the land on how they abuse censorship and access to information via the Internet to choose sides and then back certain sides around the world. If you can overthrow legitimate governments by using censorship and control of information in foreign countries, then you can install leaders who will do the bidding of the regime. And that is what they have done for decades, as Mike Benz just laid out. Also, if your government is in power in one of those countries and the people of the country want you out of office and there is a populist uprising and it's clear to the entire population that your position, your agenda, your candidacy is not popular with anyone. Well, then you can control the information and censor those people and make sure that your guy stays in office. This is the systemic takeover of the entire world in order to subvert countries and subvert governments and bring them all into the fold of the global governing bodies. That's the point. That's what we've been talking about now for years. And it's exactly what we saw happen here in the U.S. When Donald Trump is in power, the deep state, the regime controlled deep state works against him. And they enact these censorship campaigns to tamp down the voice and the energy of the people backing the populist, in this case, Donald Trump. And they use the same censorship to protect the illegitimate administration of Joe Biden. All they care about is ensuring that the person in office is willing to do the bidding of the global regime. And again, we have to separate our understanding of the CIA from our understanding of America. The CIA is not, for all intents and purposes, an American organization. The CIA does not operate for the benefit of America and American citizens, except to the extent that America is at different points the crown jewel of the global regime. If the CIA is working hand in glove with MI6 and Five Eyes, then they certainly can't be fully American. And if they are overthrowing the American government, it's hard to say they're American at all. And that is what they've done. The intel community and law enforcement have specifically targeted Trump and MAGA and the populist movement in America. They want to stomp that out, just like they do with populist movements all over the world. And what do they call it when they are stomping out populist movements all over the world? Protecting democracy. You wouldn't have to stomp out populist movements if populist movements didn't represent a popular majority of the people. There have been many times in America, including in our recent past, where populism was not a particularly popular movement. And this stuff is cyclical. But if it's not popular, then you don't need to censor people and destabilize societies and flood them with propaganda to overthrow governments. You could just win elections. So my suspicions about what side was being supported by Elon's agreeing to allow certain content to be restricted in advance of the Turkish election was correct. 
The Turkish government was attempting to resist the malign influence of global regime information operations designed to assist in the overthrow of Turkey's government and helping to rig the election for the opposition parties representing the global regime. Again, Turkey being key to not only Europe and the Middle East, but also to the Black Sea makes them critically important vis-a-vis Russia. And the fact that they are a part of NATO makes them very important when it comes to countries joining NATO like Sweden and Finland and eventually Ukraine. So from a purely pragmatic viewpoint, if you are against the regime, then that helped. But is it moral and is it right? And can it be applied in all situations? That's a much more difficult question to answer, which is why it's safer and more rational to stay in the position that no censorship is ever appropriate. Otherwise, you get bogged down into these slippery slope type arguments where it's okay in certain cases and not okay in other cases. And those positions are often unprincipled and only pragmatic. But supporting those positions means you've left yourself open to the same complaints that we are making against the other side. You're censoring us in order to get what you want in this political situation. They can say, well, you're doing the same thing. Again, I think I'd prefer to just have no censorship whatsoever and tell people specifically communicate to them. Hey, this is what a foreign malign disinformation operation looks like. No, it's not the Hunter Biden laptop. It actually looks like a whole bunch of bots. This is what bot accounts look like. These are the narratives that they're spreading. And you let people judge for themselves. Eventually, we have to reach the point where people are responsible for their own decisions and the way they take in information and how they analyze that information. The entire point of this whole process that we are in the midst of is a decentralization of power and a return of that power back to the people. If the people want power, then it's the people's responsibility to figure out what to do with it and to be responsible with it and to know how to take in information and what that information means. Otherwise, we're constantly left appealing to authorities who we almost definitely can't trust and shouldn't trust to tell us what's true and false, what we should trust or ignore. And we've gotten nowhere because the point is us figuring out what to trust, and what to ignore. Now, there's another interesting aspect to this turkey thing and to Elon Musk's tweet about the turkey thing, and that's this. Last week, he hired Linda Yaccarino, the woman who is connected to the World Economic Forum. She seems super woke, down with the whole program. She also just happened to work for Donald Trump for a little while as well. But people were very, very concerned about the World Economic Forum thing. And that's a rational and reasonable concern to have. But it's worth paying attention to the fact that a couple of days later, Elon Musk did something that is absolutely antithetical to the needs of the global regime. So it's pretty hard to say that he is just helping them in all cases. And now he is a bad guy. He's a technocratic globalist who just wants to lead us further into dystopia. He's tricking us by having us on the Twitter platform, and he's just going to steal our information and abuse us, just like the last group running Twitter did. But then there's also this. Yesterday, Elon Musk tweeted, Soros reminds me of Magneto. 
Now, me not being a comic book dork doesn't really know a whole lot about that, but I can look it up. And I did. And the Wikipedia entry says Magneto regards mutants as evolutionarily superior to humans and rejects the possibility of peaceful human mutant coexistence. He initially aimed to conquer the world to enable mutants who he refers to as homo superior to replace humans as the dominant species. And apparently his backstory is that he is a Holocaust survivor, whereas George Soros was a Holocaust assistant. Magneto has the power to play with magnetic fields and Marvel's own website notes at the end of his biography, Magneto resumed the bombing campaign halted by his errant children, simultaneously gathering every mutant he could into a floating Arctic citadel. His powers enhanced by a machine of Forge's design, Magneto intended to reverse Earth's magnetic field, leaving humanity to perish in the ensuing environmental chaos. So I've got to say that does sound rather Sorosian. Someone responded to Elon saying Magneto is way cooler and Elon said fair point. And then one of the two most idiotic paid communist shills Brian Krasenstein of the famed Krasenstein brothers wrote, fun fact, Magneto's experience during the Holocaust as a survivor shaped his perspective as well as his depth and empathy. Soros, also a Holocaust survivor, gets attacked nonstop for his good intentions, which some Americans think are bad merely because they disagree with his political affiliations. And Elon wrote, You assume they are good intentions. They are not. He wants to erode the very fabric of civilization. Soros hates humanity. Krasenstein, being a shill and an idiot, wrote, What basis do you have to make these claims? The Open Society Foundations has given away well over $30 billion to push to advance justice, education, public health, and independent media. Some of these things are things you also support, rightfully so. There is a lot of misinformation out there about Soros. He's certainly not perfect, but to claim he hates humanity baffles me. And this is the sort of thing that the Krasensteins do. They they ignore and omit all of George Soros's history and the impact of what he actually does and instead focus on what he says he does and what the PR around him suggests that he does. You can describe what George Soros does in all those terms, but if you change his reason for doing it and the impact that it actually has in the real world, overthrowing governments, manipulating currencies, etc., it's real hard to come out the other side saying that George Soros is doing all of these things out of the goodness of his heart because they all have such horrific results And there's also video of George Soros saying that he doesn't care about the results because someone would have done what he did anyway. That's his excuse for destroying entire economies. And that was also his excuse for helping Nazis load his neighbors onto trains when he was 14. Now, the point here is it's very odd for Elon Musk to be hiring a World Economic Forum person as CEO of Twitter and being down with the entire globalist movement, in fact, helping to push it forward while also doing exactly the opposite of what they wanted him to do in Turkey 
and saying on Twitter that Soros hates humanity and is evil. Now, maybe all of this is just a very strategic, well-executed deep cover, and Elon Musk really is one of the worst people on earth. But I don't think hiring Linda Yaccarino, who's supposed to start six weeks from now and has not started yet, has not done anything, is proof of his evil when he's also doing this stuff. There are good arguments on both sides of this. But Elon Musk, as one of the most evil people, to me, does not seem to map onto the reality, to the trajectory of this particular situation, and to the big picture. Now, that wasn't the only Elon Musk news from the last few days. It was reported yesterday that he had been subpoenaed in the Virgin Islands-based lawsuit regarding Jeffrey Epstein. This is ABC News just a few minutes ago. Elon Musk subpoenaed in Jeffrey Epstein banking case. Billionaire Elon Musk blasted Jeffrey Epstein, who he referred to as a dumb crook, after he was subpoenaed as part of a lawsuit filed by the U.S. Virgin Islands against J.P. Morgan Chase and Company, which officials said financially profited from deposits made by Epstein. In its filing, Virginia Islands officials say they attempted to serve Musk, one of the richest men in the world, with a subpoena. The subpoena appears to seek information about whether Epstein referred or attempted to refer Musk to J.P. Morgan, according to the Virgin Islands. This is idiotic on so many levels, Musk tweeted Monday night. One, that cretin never advised me on anything whatsoever. Two, the notion that I would need or listen to financial advice from a dumb crook is absurd. Three, J.P. Morgan let Tesla down 10 years ago, despite having Tesla's global commercial banking business, which we then withdrew. I have never forgiven them. So that is a pretty strong response. He answers the claim directly. He doesn't hold back. Is it just strategic messaging because he's the most effective deep cover evil man of all time? Hey, maybe. I don't know. We got to watch the whole thing play out. It just doesn't seem like it to me. Now, last night, James O'Keefe, through his new media organization, O'Keefe Media Group, OMG, very clever, he released a new video, another hidden camera investigation, this time with an evening producer at Fox News, who talked about the Tucker Carlson firing, its relation to Dominion, Dominion's relationship to Fox News, Pfizer's relationship with Fox News. It's a very interesting video. But as usual with those hidden camera videos, the audio's not great. It's better with the subtitles. I encourage everybody to go watch it. You can find it in the info stream, t.me slash I'm your moderator. And it's probably very easy to find on Twitter just by going to James O'Keefe's page. But there's a decent summary and write-up of it in Red State today. The headline for that is Fox producer tells O'Keefe Media that Tucker Carlson was fired as part of Dominion deal. And there is a link right in that article to O'Keefe's Twitter where you can watch the video if you like. But in the article, here are some of the dramatic claims the producer told the undercover reporter in what appears to be a coffee shop and then later in what appears to be a bar. The Fox producer, Sean Langill is talking about the Fox and Dominion lawsuit and says they gave them money. They say it wasn't part of it, but we're learning that Tucker getting fired was part of that. 
O'Keefe's undercover reporter said Tucker getting fired was part of the Dominion lawsuit. Well, so did Tucker leave or did you guys part ways or Tucker was ousted? And Len Gill says, yeah, he was ousted. Well, he brought up things that cost the company a lot of money. That was part of it. He was going to go after this whole thing about January 6th. It was an inside job. He went after this guy, Ray Epps. He said he was an FBI agent on the inside and basically encouraged it. He was going to go on air and refute what that guy said on 60 Minutes. And the Murdochs were like not too happy about it. Langill went on to talk about the power that big tech, big pharma and Wall Street play in shaping the news that we receive and particularly on Fox He said, the other thing with Tucker that is interesting is everyone's afraid we are losing so many viewers and money. I'm like, well, actually, there's a bunch of advertisers that said we're not going to advertise that eight o'clock hour. Now that he's gone, they're starting to come back. It's big pharma, which is crazy because we would do all the stuff about covid vaccines and we're getting money from Pfizer, big pharma, big tech. Langill later tried to deny that he said those words, telling O'Keefe on a phone call, I think you're putting words in my mouth. Of course, O'Keefe has the full recording, so that doesn't work. The undercover reporter then says that investing giants, BlackRock and Vanguard, both strong proponents of ESG, basically tell news organizations what they can and cannot say because, quote, they own everybody. Langille simply replies, yeah. And then says, when it's corporate media, you're beholden to advertisers. It's across the board, kind of like that, where you don't want to piss off advertisers. So that is a Fox News producer admitting that BlackRock and Vanguard and the pharmaceutical companies basically get to veto anything that might appear on Fox News that doesn't work with the picture of the world that they are trying to construct for people. And that is what they're doing. The corporations are trying to construct a view of the world in the minds of the audience that enables them to achieve more power and amass more wealth. That's why they sponsor the news. It's not just to tell people about your business and your new products in order to sell products. Not at that level. All of that money has to be for something bigger. They are constructing a false reality. They are creating the world in their image, in the way that it best suits them. But that wasn't all from this video. Langille then goes on to claim that former press secretary to first lady and special assistant to the president, Michael LaRosa, left the administration to work for a PR company whose main client is Dominion Voting Systems. He was Jill Biden's press secretary and a special assistant to the president, and he left the administration and now works for a PR company called Pentagroup, whose sole client is Dominion Voting Systems. Of La Rosa, Langille said, he left the White House to literally go take down the news outlet that was being unfavorable to his boss. He's the one who's crafting Dominion's message to the public. But no one's picking up on the fact that here's someone who worked in the administration, working with a voting company to take down Fox News. That's a whole story in and of itself. Now, how about that? It seems like that should just be an admission of guilt on the stolen election all by itself. If the first lady's press secretary, the special assistant to the president, 
leaves the administration and goes straight to work for a PR company whose sole client is the voting machine company that helped enable Joe Biden's election theft. What else could that be? Now, I think it may be inaccurate to say that Dominion was trying to take down Fox News and that LaRosa was helping them do that on behalf of Joe Biden. I think that's probably just Langille's child-brained normie perspective on what that is. But it's highly possible that he went to do PR for Dominion on behalf of the illegitimate administration to take down Tucker Carlson. And there's good reason to believe that besides these totally obvious connections. And the reason is given by Joe Biden himself a couple of weeks ago at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Well, the truth is, we really have a record to be proud of. Vaccinated the nation, transformed the economy, earned historic legislative victories and midterm results, but the job isn't finished. I mean, it is finished for Tucker Carlson. What do you want about it like that? Like, do you think that's not reasonable? Give me a break. Just give me a break. Look. Come on, man. Not a joke. Not a joke. Not a joke. Joe Biden's special assistant, Jill Biden's press secretary, left the fake administration went to a PR group whose sole client is Dominion to work on getting Tucker Carlson fired. Tucker Carlson is gone. Then Joe Biden jokes about it at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. But everything is okay because this is a return to decency and the adults are back in the room. So let's get into a little of the response to the release of the John Durham report. The report itself is titled Report on Matters Related to Intelligence Activities and Investigations Arising Out of the 2016 Presidential Campaigns. Now, a bunch of people have gone all the way through the report at this point. I am not one of those people. If you want the breakdown, Just Human on Twitter and Patel Patriot on Twitter have both done long threads on what they found interesting in the report. Just Human has like a mega thread there. So if you want to get the Cliff's Notes version of the Durham report, that's a great place to go. But let's start out by setting the tone with a little journey down memory lane with some music behind it, put together by Kanakoa the Great, featuring some of your favorite stars from the mainstream media lying about the Russia hoax. His latest bombshell report. White House is slamming a bombshell report by BuzzFeed. With a bombshell report from BuzzFeed. If the BuzzFeed bombshell is true. The bombshell report. The Russians had compromising videos of Donald Trump watching prostitutes urinate on a bed in the Moscow Ritz-Carlton presidential suite. Donald Trump engaged in perverted acts with prostitutes. In reality, A, a bunch of the dossier has proven to be true. 
The FBI and the CIA have reportedly validated parts of it as true. Investigators have corroborated part of the uh, dossier. The dossier has been corroborated by the intelligence community. U.S. investigators have corroborated some of the allegations in that dossier. We do know that parts of it have been corroborated. The president was compromised by a hostile foreign government. Full stop. The possibility, the very real possibility, President Putin holds damaging information over President Trump. What do the Russians have on Donald Trump? Politically, personally, or financially? But it hasn't been discredited. In fact, it's been the opposite. It's been corroborated. Much of the dossier has been corroborated. This discredited dossier it hasn't was been paid discredited. For, Your intel community has corroborated a golden shower safe involving prostitutes. Golden showers. Infamous compromise safe referred to yeah. in the dossier. Russian prostitutes and that other thing. Russians had a so-called P-tape. The P-tape. That tape about the, the stuff in the hotel room in Russia. The steel dossier, the steel dossier, the steel dossier. What's in the steel dossier? The PP tape. It didn't happen. Despite the president's dismissals of the dossier, sources say it is gaining increasing credibility in both the intelligence community and Congress. Some of it what we did corroborate in the ICA. And of course, it appears that more of it has been corroborated. Many of the things represented in the Steele reports were in fact true. When the president just refers to it as fake dossier, that is false. Uh, I. I don't think that's, that's the accurate characterization for the entirety of the dossier. I don't know whether the current president of the United States was with prostitutes peeing on each other in Moscow in 2013. It's possible. So cable news hosts Stephen Colbert, Chuck Schumer, James Clapper, James Comey, Andrew McCabe, they all helped disseminate the narrative that the Steele dossier was a legitimate piece of opposition research. It contained facts. These facts had been corroborated by the intelligence community. And everyone needs to understand that Donald Trump is compromised in Russia, most especially after having an incident in a Moscow hotel room that Obama had stayed in, where Trump hired hookers to pee on him. That was what we were told. We were told that was true. And that was the basis for the Russia investigation, all of the rumors, the Mueller investigation and everything that went along with that, the spying on Trump's campaign, and then the spying that continued on the executive office of the president while Donald Trump was president. All of that was premised on the Steele dossier. Now, unless you just woke up, in the very recent past, most people have known for a pretty long time that none of it was true. And the Durham report, of course, makes that quite clear. Here is Technofog's quick analysis on the Durham report. This is from his substack, technofog.substack.com. Special counsel John Durham's investigation an inquiry into government corruption lies to secret courts, the weaponization of the U.S. intelligence apparatus, the FBI's attempt to take down a sitting president, has concluded. The Durham report has been released. Here are some of the main findings. And he lists a series of bullet points to go through. The FBI discounted or willfully ignored material information that did not support the narrative of a collusive relationship between Trump and Russia. Crossfire Hurricane was opened as a full investigation without the FBI 
ever having spoken to the persons who provided that information. Days after it was opened, Peter Strzok was telling a London FBI employee that, quote, there's nothing to this. Internal FBI communications discussing Crossfire Hurricane during its early stages said it's thin and it sucks. British intelligence pushed back on Mueller requests for assistance. A British intelligence person basically said there was no expletive way in hell they were going to do it. That's a direct quote from Durham's report. Durham documents two investigations into Hillary Clinton, one involving the Clinton Foundation and one involving illegal foreign contributions to Clinton's campaign. In one Clinton campaign investigation, an FBI confidential human source had offered an illegal foreign contribution to the campaign through an intermediary. The Clinton campaign was, quote, okay with it and were, quote, fully aware. The CHS, confidential human source, offered the FBI a copy of the credit card charge. The FBI never got receipts. In fact, the FBI handling agent told the confidential human source, quote, to stay away from all events relating to Clinton's campaign. In February 2016, FBI Assistant Director Andrew McCabe directed the Clinton Foundation investigation to be shut down. He walked that back after receiving pushback, but McCabe made sure that his approval was required for any further investigative steps. The New York field office was called on behalf of FBI Director Comey and informed to cease and desist from the Clinton Foundation investigation. The FBI and DOJ restricted both of those Clinton investigations, making sure that, quote, essentially no investigative activities occurred for months leading up to the election, end quote. In comparison, the FBI opened a full investigation into the Trump campaign based on unvetted quote-unquote, intelligence. The CIA had direct knowledge of the Clinton plan to vilify Trump by linking him to Putin and Russia. On August 3rd, 2016, CIA Director John Brennan met with President Obama, Vice President Biden, and other senior administration officials, including, but not limited to, Attorney General Loretta Lynch and FBI Director James Comey. At that meeting, Brennan informed them of the Clinton plan. Citing the report, Director Brennan's declassified handwritten notes reflect that he briefed the meeting's participants regarding the, quote, alleged approval by Hillary Clinton on 26 July of a proposal from one of her campaign advisors to vilify Donald Trump by stirring up a scandal claiming interference by the Russian security services. Now, this has been known for a long time, but it is critically important that everyone understand that, especially if you are new to this subject. Okay, the CIA director at the time, John Brennan, went to the White House and briefed President Obama, Vice President Joe Biden, Attorney General Loretta Lynch, James Comey, and others who were in the room on the fact that the Clinton campaign was doing this. They had a plan to vilify Trump by creating this scandal that connected Trump to Russia. So the president, the vice president, the attorney general, the director of the CIA, the director of the FBI, all of them know that the Clinton campaign was responsible for this scandal that was going to affect and meant to affect 
the 2016 election. And none of them said a single word to the public. They did not do anything. And Donald Trump did not receive a background briefing to let him know that the intelligence community and the FBI were aware of what was going on. They just let it happen. That is in every way a subversive act to our constitutional republic. They are undermining our democracy by doing that. That is a coup. The fact that they were doing it in coordination with their foreign counterparts and on behalf of the global regime makes it something much worse than that. But back to Technofog. In September 2016, the CIA sent the FBI this information on the Clinton plan to link Trump and Russia and highlighted from the report discussing U.S. presidential candidate Hillary Clinton's approval of a plan concerning U.S. presidential candidate Donald Trump and Russian hackers hampering U.S. elections as a means of distracting the public from her use of a private email server. Somehow, the FBI did nothing to vet or investigate the Clinton plan, even though they were using parts of the Clinton plan, the Steele report, to investigate the Trump campaign. Durham writes, quote, no FBI personnel who were interviewed by the office recalled Crossfire Hurricane personnel taking any action to vet the Clinton plan intelligence, end quote. In fact, it was as if the CIA's Clinton plan memo was somehow buried within the FBI. Most members of Crossfire Hurricane, quote, had never seen the intelligence before, end quote. And as we have previously discussed, it was never disclosed to the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court in contravention to that court's local rules. So that means when they went to get their FISA warrants enabling the spying, they did not relay to the FISA court that they were aware of the origins of the Steele dossier and that it was a Clinton campaign plan to undermine Donald Trump's campaign. FBI Director James Comey was deeply interested in the Crossfire Hurricane investigation and micromanaged it, demanding the Carter Page FISA warrant, telling Assistant Director Andrew McCabe, where is the FISA? Where is the FISA? The FBI knew relatively early that its Carter Page FISA warrants were dubious. That FBI knowledge only intensified by 2018 as FBI analysts discussed how, quote, Steele's subsources could have been compromised by the Russians. They were going to prepare their findings in a memorandum. FBI Deputy Assistant Director for Counterintelligence Dina Corsi met with the review team and directed them not to document any recommendations, context or analysis in the memorandum they were preparing. An FBI attorney was at that meeting. He confirmed the team was told not to write any more memoranda or analytical pieces and to provide their findings orally. Corsi's demands, according to one FBI attorney, were, quote, the most inappropriate operational or professional statement he had ever heard at the FBI. So Dina Corsi wanted no records of these conversations. She wanted everything to be oral. That, my friends, is absolute corruption. Igor Danchenko. The Steele primary subsource charged with and acquitted of lying to the FBI was paid $220,000 by the FBI as a confidential human source. This was paid after the FBI knew Danchenko lied to them. As the Durham investigation proceeded, Durham learned, quote, 
the FBI proposed making continued future payments to Danchenko, totaling more than $300,000, while Durham was actively investigating this matter, end quote. The FBI, in effect, was seeking to influence a key witness who would later face criminal charges. The FBI's reasons for paying Danchenko were certainly curious. Interviews with Durham's office revealed the FBI's assistant director for national security made clear that they were not even able to accurately describe the value or contributions of Danchenko that would justify keeping him open, much less making hundreds of thousands of dollars in payments to him. Technofog notes that he's going to be providing more analysis on that in the future, but let's go to Just the News. The headline on the Just the News article about this, John Durham releases final report, concludes FBI had no verified intel when it opened probe on Trump. Special counsel John Durham released a damning final report Monday after more than three years investigating the Russia collusion probe, declaring the FBI had no verified intelligence or evidence when it opened the crossfire hurricane probe of President Donald Trump's campaign in the summer of 2016. The prosecutor, however, recommended no new charges. The prosecutor faulted the department and the FBI for failing to follow their own standards and allowing a probe to persist, including the surveillance of an American citizen without basis under the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. The report's release touched off instant outrage and impact on Capitol Hill, where House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan tweeted that he planned to summon Durham for testimony next week, and he sent a letter to John Durham asking him to come in and testify on May 25th. The FBI immediately reacted, saying Durham's findings justified the changes that current director Christopher Wray made after taking over from fired director James Comey. Basically, the FBI's statement said, hey, yeah, we knew that there were a bunch of problems. We've already solved those problems, so there's nothing else that we need to do. Durham specifically faulted the FBI for relying on evidence from the campaign of 2016 Democrat presidential nominee Hillary Clinton, including the now discredited Steele dossier, saying leadership lacked the necessary distrust of politically motivated allegations. The special prosecutor pointedly highlighted what he portrayed as a dual system of justice, noting the FBI never opened a counterintelligence probe of Clinton's campaign. Despite receiving intelligence, she had authorized a dirty trick to paint Trump as a stooge for Russian President Vladimir Putin to impact the outcome of the election. Durham also laid out significant evidence that struck who led the crossfire hurricane team, but was fired from the FBI, worked with FBI lawyer Lisa Page, with whom he was having an affair, to go around the counterintelligence chief of the FBI, Bill Priestap, his boss, to keep the investigation going by getting approval of then FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe, who was also later fired. And both of those guys are on television all the time. Peter Strzok and Andrew McCabe, they go on CNN and MSNBC constantly. The report quoted Priestap as identifying, quote, Instances when Strzok shared information directly with McCabe before Priestap could provide the information to McCabe himself. Priestap said these actions drove him insane. He also told the office that Strzok was the worst offender in this regard and that these events occurred mostly when he, Priestap, wanted to go in one direction and they, Page and Strzok, disagreed and thus went around him. 
The report also divulged that the handling agent who was first contacted July 5th, 2016 by ex MI6 agent Christopher Steele, the author of the infamous dossier funded by Hillary Clinton's campaign, appeared to be aware that Clinton's campaign was connected to his work, including the notation HC in his notes. That agent said his initial reaction to Steele's allegations of Trump-Russia collusion was one of disbelief and that Steele was politically motivated, but he passed the allegations up the FBI chain anyway. Notwithstanding his skepticism about the reporting, handling agent one deemed the allegations to be something he could not arbitrarily discount, the report said. So we have an absolutely filthy and dishonest opposition research effort led and funded by the Hillary Clinton campaign involving Mark Elias, the election fraud lawfare attorney, and Fusion GPS. They contacted Christopher Steele to create the Steele dossier. The Steele dossier is the PP dossier that made all sorts of allegations about Donald Trump and connections to Russia, and virtually all of those claims have been discredited entirely. This was the basis for FISA surveillance. This was the basis for the Russia hoax. This was the basis for the Mueller investigation. All of these things were intended to undermine Donald Trump's campaign, rig the election for Hillary Clinton, and then once Donald Trump won and became president, to undermine his presidency and continue spying on him. All of this was a coordinated act by the deep state. Clinton, Obama, Biden, Lynch, Comey, Brennan, all of them involved, all of them knew that none of the Trump-Russia stuff was true, and they allowed it to go out to the public anyway because they wanted the result. So what is the fallout looking like? Well, a lot of people are very disappointed because there weren't further prosecutions. We'll get to that in a second. There are people on the other side who think that this is a massive win because there are not more prosecutions coming directly from Durham. They are trying to tell everybody that that means there's nothing in this report. Nothing was actually wrong. They were barely able to prosecute anybody for this whole issue, which means to them that none of this was illegal, that there was no problem here, even though this is quite obviously a coup against this country. This is as bad as it gets. This isn't just politics as usual. It's not just political dirty tricks. This is the entire deep state colluding and coordinating to undermine a presidential candidate and a duly elected sitting president of the United States of America. That is a soft coup. That's what it is. But the mainstream media is largely ignoring that. One part that they thankfully are not completely ignoring is Donald Trump's role in all this and the fact that Donald Trump had no role in all this. Donald Trump was the victim. He was not colluding with Russia. Donald Trump has now been fully exonerated of yet another hoax and publicly exonerated. This is Jake Tapper on CNN yesterday. Regardless, the report is now here. It has dropped and it might not have produced everything of what some Republicans hoped for. It is regardless devastating to the FBI and to a degree it does exonerate Donald Trump. So he doesn't get all the way there. The degree to which Donald Trump was exonerated was all the way fully exonerated. But I'm sure that that pained Jake Tapper to say enough as is. And maybe that's the best we can expect right now 
from CNN. But that alone should still shock the child brains in their audience. There just was no Trump-Russia collusion. And people are still hanging on to it nonetheless, as you might suspect, because those people are absolutely nuts. They are not going to make it. Here's a bit more from CNN. Uh, now an investigation that's four years in the making, and uh, we finally have the conclusions, uh, more than 300 pages uh, released by the Justice Department. Now uh, it's, it's now been uh, transmitted to members of Congress who also are going to want to bring John Durham in uh, to, uh, to review some of the findings. But the bottom line is this. The, uh, the investigation found uh, that the FBI failed in many, many ways, things that we already knew from a previous uh, Inspector General report, and I'll read you just a part of it, uh, 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 of John Durham's conclusion. He says, based on the review of Crossfire Hurricane and related intelligence activities, we conclude that the department and the FBI failed to uphold their important mission of strict fidelity to the law in connection with certain events and activities described in this report. So some of this is actually breaking through and getting into the mainstream consciousness. There was just nothing there on Trump-Russia collusion. The FBI set this up. Obviously, the mainstream media is going to make sure to keep all the heat off Clinton, Obama, Biden, and the people in the DOJ, the law enforcement community, and the intel community who they have on as regular guests. But they have no problem saying that the FBI was a little bad back then. And the statement from the FBI will back them up on that and say, yeah, we fixed that stuff. But even Democrats and hardcore Democrats are coming to the understanding that this actually was a coup. I talked last week to a friend of mine who is a hardcore Democrat for some reason, and that reason is because he doesn't know what he's talking about ever. He even knew that there was a coup, and that was before the Durham report came out. He had already gotten it. Something was seriously wrong. And of course, he just thinks that nothing is ever going to happen because it's just not that big of a deal. And also, you know, Trump and people are having a hard time figuring out where to stand on this whole thing. They can't exactly admit that they were wrong about everything the whole time. They're not going to change their opinion of Trump based on this. Sure, the entire Russia thing was a lie, but Trump is still so bad about these other things, like when he said that there were very fine people on both sides. And you prove to them that that's a lie. And they say, but he said that Mexicans were rapists and murderers. Well, no, he said that they're bringing rapists and murderers over the border. And that is 100% true. They're also bringing drugs and drug trafficking, human trafficking and child sex trafficking over the border. That's just the situation down there. So talking about how they are murderers and rapists isn't out of line. And they say, yeah, but he started a very violent insurrection. And you say, nah. And they tell you he was impeached twice. And you say, yeah, but that was fake, too. And you just go on down the lists of all their biggest complaints about Donald Trump. And it turns out none of them are true. And they don't know what they're talking about. And they can't explain any of those circumstances and how Donald Trump deserves moral culpability for any of them, nor how they should be factored into one's opinion of Donald Trump. But people don't have that option because the media created everyone's opinion of Donald Trump. And the people who have held on to that for eight years now are not going to let it go, no matter how much information emerges to prove them wrong. 
And even conservatives are having trouble with this. A lot of them have known that the Trump-Russia hoax was a hoax for a very long time, and they'll use it to occasionally score points against Hillary Clinton. They'll talk about how the FBI is corrupt, maybe a little bit, if they're kind of on the edgier side of Con Inc. But they always have to map out their responses in whatever way will make sure not to make Donald Trump look good. When he was in the White House, if he did something that conservatives like, they would say, well, this is Donald Trump being a good boy. But if Donald Trump was smarter and better, he would have done even better. And that's what we would have achieved if we were in that position and not Donald Trump. So even when Donald Trump does good things, he's bad. When he says mean things about really horrible people, they're like, yeah, that person was horrible, but Donald Trump shouldn't say those things. If we were in his position, we would attack that terrible person, but only in good ways. So no matter what, Donald Trump is bad. They're good. Even when what Donald Trump is fighting is really, really bad, Donald Trump is also bad and they're good. And for a perfect example of that, let's look at one of the worst people in the world, Ben Shapiro. Yesterday, he tweeted out, the Durham report is insanely damning of the FBI, the Clinton campaign, the Obama administration, and everyone involved in the Trump-Russia smear. Absolutely shocking stuff. And you might say, eh, that's a pretty powerful statement. Well, first off, Trump-Russia wasn't a smear. That was an undermining of a presidential campaign and then the undermining of and spying on a presidential administration and a long investigation throughout Mueller to undermine Trump. All of that was part of the same thing. That wasn't a smear. That was a coup. And Ben Shapiro, of course, knows it. He just won't say it. But here's the thing. Apart from Ben Shapiro's very strong statement, the people who carried out this Trump-Russia coup are the very same people involved in stealing the 2020 election. Hillary Clinton is involved with the setup of the election apparatus around the country. This is that regime, the people she serves that do all of that. Mark Elias, the lawyer, is the lawfare lawyer who goes around and makes sure that election fraud cases cannot be prosecuted. These are the people who set up the loopholes in the law and then use loopholes in our legal system in order to make sure that justice is never seen when it comes to election matters. You got Brennan and Comey, the CIA and the FBI, certainly involved in the 2020 election steal. You got Obama and Biden in his basement, which are essentially the same things. Biden is just a dementia patient stooge of Barack Obama. I used to say every day starting the show, this is Barack Obama's third term. And indeed it is. All of the people involved in the 2016 Trump-Russia collusion hoax were involved in the 2020 election steal, and it was for the benefit of all of them. So when, like Ben Shapiro, you ignore that election steal for two and a half years, who is it you're protecting? All of the same people involved in the Russia collusion hoax that he is saying is quite damning stuff. And you'll notice that he left out the illegitimate Biden administration in his criticisms. Well, why is that? Well, because if you go after the Biden administration, that undermines the legitimacy of Joe Biden, the current illegitimate president, who Ben Shapiro and the Daily Wire, for all intents and purposes, support. 
Sure, they argue with them on their podcasts every day, but they've gone along with all of this stuff and they were going along with it in 2016 too. They went along with every attempt to undermine Trump throughout that campaign. Eventually, at the end of the day, they told people to hold their noses and vote for Donald Trump if they could stomach it, even while he was facing off against Hillary Clinton. And then they proceeded to undermine him throughout his presidency, going along with the reality and importance of the Mueller investigation, the Ukraine impeachment hoax, all of it. In 2020, they went all in on COVID, every aspect of COVID. They covered up what the Democrats were doing in trying to rig the election. And then once the regime stole that election, they went right along with the mainstream media in protecting the election steal and legitimizing Joe Biden. They went along with the narrative about the insurrection, and they've continued to talk about how bad Trump and his supporters and MAGA in general are ever since. Who is Ben Shapiro protecting? The same people who pulled off the Trump-Russia collusion hoax. That's what this is. They are protecting Joe Biden's administration. The uniparty right is protecting the uniparty left. All of this should be indisputable at this point. I've been saying it for a very long time. Why? Because I could see them doing it in real time. And of course I would say it, but it's even more true now watching this reaction. They will condemn them for what they did seven years ago, but they won't even mention what they did two and a half years ago. The very same people. Why? Because if Donald Trump had that election stolen from him, then Donald Trump is the only person who can possibly be put back in that office and have anyone who knows this ever consider it justice. And that's just not going to work for Ben Shapiro and his cuckold pals at the Daily Wire. And of course, Candace Owens, who also sucks. They literally get paid $50 million a year to lie to their audience about these sorts of things. It's not a coincidence that they are wrong in the same direction the regime is wrong about all of the most important situations in the world. That's what they get paid for. Lieutenant General Michael Flynn released a statement on Durham's report. Today, Special Counsel John Durham released his report on his findings regarding the FBI's investigation into the Trump-Russia collusion conspiracy. The result is striking. There was never any basis to investigate President Trump, me, or anyone else in the Trump campaign over fake claims of Russian collusion, claims that were a fiction invented by Hillary Clinton's campaign and pursued by a weaponized and politicized FBI and Department of Justice. This was not just a crime against President Trump, my family and me, but also against the American people and our constitutional system of government. It must never be allowed to happen again. This report provides further vindication that the FBI investigation that targeted and persecuted me and my family should have never occurred. While I appreciate the further vindication explained in this report, thanks to the dedicated work from John Durham and his team, I am still angered that this was ever allowed to happen in the first place. The American people were robbed of millions of taxpayer dollars due to this hoax meant to target President Trump, me and our supporters. My family and I were attacked for years due to lies. Where do we go for justice? How do I get those lost years of my life back? This is why I have sued the Department of Justice. There must be accountability if our constitutional republic is to survive. 
The FBI dragged my name through the mud for years, despite the entire basis of their investigation being built on a lie, a lie that they knew about. Notably, the report emphatically states that the FBI never had any type of evidence that I was engaged in any conspiracy with Russia. The FBI instead apparently went forward with their investigation because I was a member of the Trump campaign who had visited Russia. The FBI opened this fraudulent investigation against me and the Trump campaign, despite providing no defensive briefings either before or after they opened the investigation to President Trump or anyone in the campaign. Importantly, the report emphasized on page 66 that the investigations into me and others in the Trump campaign had not resulted in the collection of any inculpatory information. The report itself provides evidence that the FBI had insufficient predicate intelligence to open an investigation, that the FBI did not properly analyze any information, and that the FBI had a biased predisposition to open an investigation. We need to restore accountability in this country before it is too late. We cannot allow witch hunts initiated by our justice system to occur simply based on political biases. This report provides what we knew all along. The Trump Russia investigation was a conspiracy, not based on fact, but instead politically driven. The partisan corporate news media will try to bury this report and hope that the American people quickly forget about it. We must resist this temptation. This report must be a rally cry for all freedom-loving Americans of all parties and persuasions to fight back against a politicized federal law enforcement and justice system. If we do not fight back now, the America we love may be lost forever. Donald Trump has a series of different responses on Truth Social. Here's one of them. Wow. After extensive research, special counsel John Durham concludes the FBI never should have launched the Trump-Russia probe. In other words, the American public was scammed, just as it is being scammed right now by those who don't want to see greatness for America. And just one other note from Donald Trump's Truth Social. He posted the results of the morning consult poll today. Trump posts biggest lead yet over DeSantis, according to Morning Consult. 61% Trump 18% DeSantis nationwide, 3,571 registered voters. That is plus 43. So once again, there is no Ron. Now, in terms of the Durham report, I mentioned earlier that people are kind of upset about the fact that there are no other prosecutions directly from Durham. Now, I'm not upset about that. I didn't really ever think that Durham in particular was what was going to bring down the whole thing. He wasn't just going to prosecute people one by one all the way up the chain until he reaches Clinton and Biden and Obama. And that would very likely take years. It has always been my thinking that what we're probably going to eventually see is something that resembles Trump's civil RICO case against Clinton and like a hundred other defendants. I think the ultimate point is to prove all of this as a massive conspiracy and then bring the whole thing down at one time, including all the defendants listed in whatever RICO conspiracy charge we eventually see. 
Now, do I know that? Of course not. It's impossible to know that. But that seems like where we're headed. And Donald Trump in the civil RICO case has already given us a model of what that might look like. Again, I understand these are totally different domains. To me, this seems like a step in the process. And they have gotten all sorts of new information and evidence on the record and into the mix, hopefully in preparation for next steps still to come. I think we are also finally to the point where the American public at large can see that the Trump-Russia collusion hoax was indeed a hoax. And that's important in terms of the awakening. We're not getting the results we want yet, but that doesn't mean they're never coming. I said on Twitter last night, we get the rug first, they get the rug last. And what I mean is that we are going to consistently get the rug pulled from under our feet over and over and over again until it's their turn. We can see with things like the Mar-a-Lago raid and some of the legal stuff Trump is dealing with now that they're going to go after him and use whatever they can to go after him. And what they're doing is opening up the field and the public mindset about what sorts of prosecutions are possible and appropriate for political criminals. I imagine that we will see the investigations against Donald Trump reach some sort of conclusion or indictment before we see anything going after the other side. It's disappointing. It's frustrating. But the point is winning in the end, not winning in the short term or scoring points against all those normies and morons who continue to taunt you online. Even some of my friends who are disappointed in the lack of prosecutions, but have gone through the report are pretty happy with what's in the report. And I think that that's where just human is right now with things. And I don't know anybody that pays more attention to the Durham investigation and the inner workings of the DOJ and the FBI, et cetera, than he does. It's also good that all of this is getting wrapped up because we do and we should want to move on to the next steps. If this is playing out along a timeline like I believe it is, it's good to know that one chapter is finished and another chapter begins. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!